Hey, doesn't that sound pretty? What you are hearing are sandhill cranes calling. This audio was recorded by Mary Harner while she was at the Albuquerque Reach near the middle Rio Grande. You'll hear more of her audio clips on subsequent episodes. Anyway, hello, my name is Renee Simonson and welcome to my podcast, episode one of three. This series was recorded in the spring of 2022. The focus of this podcast will be on interdisciplinary work relating to water sustainability. So, how is this podcast going to go? I'll give you the roadmap for these episodes. For episode one, we'll start with some background info on me, how this podcast came to be, and get acquainted with the people I am interviewing. Next, on episode two, we'll get to hear what current challenges they've seen with water sustainability. Then we'll make our way to episode three, where we'll learn what they are working on to address issues talked about in episode two. Afterwards, I'll wrap up the series and give my thank yous and acknowledgements. Alright, let's start with who I am. I am a UNM student majoring in biology with an interest in a lot of things. For a long time, I've been interested in brains and people. I thought about becoming a therapist of some kind, but came to really like research. Lately, I have been interested in water. This interest appeared years ago after the Gold King mine spill occurred. I used to travel near the Animus River often, and I went from being a normal muddy color to a sick yellow color. The effects did not stop there. People who used the river for fishing, recreation, and farming all had to stop. Some of my family members are farmers that used the Animus River for irrigation, and they lost out on making money during that time. As this was happening, we had to rely on officials to tell us what the toxic waste was made of, how the river was going to be cleaned, and when the river would become safe to use again. I remember that after they told us the water was safe to use, people still did not trust it for some time. This made me realize how we've taken water for granted and how important it is to take care of it now so that we don't run into more issues later on. Fast forward a few years and I was granted the Grand Challenge Sustainable Water Resources Undergraduate Research Communication Scholarship from UNM. Professor Becky Bixby is my mentor, and for this project, I decided to interview her and the people she works with to find out their thoughts on interdisciplinary work and issues with water sustainability. Now for introductions. I asked everyone to give a short description of themselves and how they got into water or the biology field. For this question, I'll have Professor Becky Bixby go first, then Professor Mary Harner and Professor John Fleck. So I am a freshwater ecologist who is interested in things that live in rivers and streams and lakes and wetlands and springs. And I'm interested in those organisms and how they respond to their environment. Hello, I am Mary Harner. I am a research professor at the University of Nebraska at Kearney, and I study river floodplain systems. And I'm especially interested in how rivers change over time and how people have influenced that history and also how people interact with rivers to manage and protect them in the future. And a lot of my work uses imagery from time-lapse cameras or aerial photography or trail cameras to document that change and to share views of rivers and how these ecosystems work with public audiences. A curious guy with good typing skills. It's my favorite description of myself that I ever wrote. I'm a writer. Those are some great descriptions from college faculty. Now the introductions will be followed by Professor Becky's Graduate students Brennan Davis, Molly Hantula, and Wes No. 
I am a lifelong New Mexican, um, one of many generations here, uh, who grew up in Las Cruces, and um, I'm interested in protecting my home state because I love it here. I am a very driven, hardworking person that likes to roll in the mud. Outgoing person who likes to be outdoors. Wonderful answers. I think it's always nice to get to know people a little more. I asked them how they got to be interested in what they do and what led them down the road of water sustainability. The order will be the same with Becky, Mary, and John, then Brennan, Molly, and Wes. Here's what they had to say. So uh, I grew up in a family of scientists or more accurately healthcare. Uh, healthcare folks. My dad was a veterinarian uh, and I knew early on that I wasn't interested in that um, because I kept getting dragged on the weekends to help him in his in his uh, practice uh, with animals that needed help on the weekends. So uh, I went to college thinking I wanted to be a pharmacist uh, and learned quickly that chemistry was interesting but not something I really wanted to do for a career and when I was a junior in college, uh, I lived overseas in Scotland and took some amazing classes in botany that really piqued my interest. And then spent the summer between my junior and senior year of college at the University of Michigan Field Station doing aquatic ecology and really, really getting into it. Have some very dear friends from that class that I still, um, still hang out with. and realizing that my my time as a kid on the water really could actually um, lend itself to a career in aquatic aquatic ecology. So I also grew up in a family with a lot of um, people in the healthcare profession. And so the, the sciences were part of my background and part of what I, I grew up with. And so I I kind of always knew I was interested in pursuing a career in science, but I wasn't sure what path that would take. And I initially majored in engineering in college. And after a few semesters, had the opportunity to take an ecology class and to participate in some laboratories that were held outside. And that was really eye-opening to me. I, I don't think I realized that this was a career path that was even an option. And so one thing that I advise um, students is to, to be open. Like we, I think we're often encouraged to, to pick what we're going to be when we grow up or identify it really early when we don't know all the options that are out there. And um, I'm really grateful that I had the flexibility to be able to change course slightly and pursue an undergraduate degree in ecology and continue in that field. Um, Trying to think if there's any more to add to that. I think, I think also in some of these fields, there's not a definite endpoint that our career tra trajectories are, are very much like a winding river. That it's even even though I am a scientist now and a professor, the work that I do that I do changes over time as different opportunities present themselves, different research questions present themselves, and so really enjoy the opportunity to keep learning new things and working on new questions. Can, can I add to that? 
that I think it's important for people to realize that it's not always a really linear progression for people's careers. Both Mary and I have done other things other than be faculty at a university. Uh, I worked for uh, the Department of Energy um, at a former uranium processing site doing endangered species work for a number of years. And, and, and Mary's worked for a nonprofit um, focusing on, on cranes. So um, I think there's, there's not always a straight path from being an undergraduate to having, having a job or having multiple jobs. So I think that's kind of an important take home that Mary was talking about too. So I was working as a newspaper reporter in California in the 1980s, um, Southern California, and I was covering the city government in a, in a sort of mid-sized city called Pasadena, um, and the city had a water agency. And, you know, I was covering all sorts of city government things. How do you fund the police department and the fire department? Um, the sort of routine things city government does. And they had this water agency. And I thought, that seems really interesting. I wonder where that water comes from. And that started me on this lifelong quest to understand where we get our water and how we use it and how we manage it and what our future with it is like. Because in Pasadena, in Southern California, that water comes from really far away. There's like a giant aqueduct. They pump this water hundreds of miles. Where does it come from? It comes from the Colorado River. And there's an aqueduct that brings it across the desert. And it goes through these big tunnels. And it goes over mountains to get it to Southern California to make the city that I was living in possible. And I thought, that's really interesting. How does that happen? And that sent me on this lifelong quest to understand how we manage water. Biology was an interest that I had um, since I was a kid. And I was lucky because my dad would take me, you know, hunting, hiking, fishing, camping, all that. And um, when we were out, I, I always remember still, um, he would like, you know, point things out to me um, and talk about the way that, you know, these hills or streams or whatever were the way, like when he was a kid. Um, and, and describe to me like how they were different and why they were different. Um, and so he, he like taught me about climate change and all that pretty early. Um, was he also taking classes or was no, he going to college? No, not at all. He's an engineer. Yeah, so I don't, I really don't know how he got into that, but it, it really rubbed off. Um, and then I had an uncle who was a wildlife biologist. And so I was kind of like, you know, sort of guided down that path when I was a kid. Um, and then I went to college here and thought for a while, like, you know, the job market's rough. Um, yeah. That was this, the time when government shutdowns were happening like once every year or two. Oh. Um, and a lot of my work at the time was with um, like the Bureau of Land Management. Mm -hmm. And so all that kind of stuff was sort of scary. Um, so I thought about switching it up to pharmacy, um, you know, something more stable, but yeah totally removed from the outdoors um, and at the end of the day I just realized that I was miserable in those classes um, and so at that point I turned back to what I loved um, and that was biology and ecology. So I've, I've always sort of had this overwhelming love for the natural world. Mm -hmm. um, Initially, I started coming to school to be a biology teacher. Oh. So I wanted to teach like high school bio. Yeah. Um, and then as I progressed through the program, I started to realize how much I like 
the actual science side of it and the research side of it. Oh, I see. And then I met Becky uh-huh. uh, in limnology probably about four or five years ago now. Mm-hmm. And she opened my world to water and uh, water in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. And just kind of got the ball rolling and it's all downhill from there. Well, I started out as a pre-med in my biology track and then just kind of with my experience throughout the classes, as I'm sure you're kind of experiencing right now with the pre-med students, um, I didn't exactly vibe with them. And then that uh, combined with my study abroad experience in Perth, Australia, uh, really kind of solidified my love for the the life sciences and for biodiversity um, and just learning about the nature that's around you. And so... I kind of switched tracks to the life science part of biology, and then I took a class with Bosky Ecosystem Monitoring Program, where we collected um, 408. Yeah. yeah, yep, definitely take it. And we uh, collected uh, ecological samples throughout the Bosky, and I eventually got a job with the Museum of Southwestern Biology because of that experience. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how um, I went from like a pre-med person to my Uh, love for the life sciences and biodiversity and nature. I thought their answers were interesting, and I noticed that there was a sort of pattern to it. If any of you listening like the outdoors and are not sure what you might want to do for a living, I suggest taking some biology or ecology classes. You might just fall in love with ecology. Who knows? Moving forward, let's learn about what their day-to-day responsibilities are. So I wear a number of hats at the University of New Mexico. I'm research faculty in the biology department and also associated with the Museum of Southwestern Biology and also uh, administration in the water resources program, which is an interdisciplinary master's degree program that focuses on the policy and science of water. So my days are spent doing a variety of things. I teach a freshwater ecology class and a field class for the water resources program on watershed monitoring. I also do a fair amount of administration, but also a lot of research that involves graduate students and undergraduate students. Um, Part of my job is really focused on getting research grants, um, and they're often tied and connected to students doing work for their undergraduate research or their master's degree or PhD research. So um, I sort of do a lot of things. So I'm currently on faculty at the University of Nebraska at Kearney, which is in South Central Nebraska. Um, But my link to the University of New Mexico is that I was a graduate student uh, there at UNM. I earned my PhD in biology from UNM. And when I was at UNM, I had the opportunity opportunity to be part of an interdisciplinary graduate training program that really emphasized training of students. Um, And a big part of my current job is leading research projects with large interdisciplinary teams, but wherever possible involving students in that research. So a lot of my My week uh, includes mentoring undergraduates and graduate students and connecting them to larger research projects and training them. 
and helping them along the way with the science, but and in particular with their writing and communicating of that science. My weird title is Writer in Residence over at the Utten Center, which is a water policy group at the School of Law. And my job there is to work with people who study water policy, who do research on water policy, who work with governments and communities on water policy, and to figure out how to communicate well about these complex issues. I'm kind of a translator. I live in the world of very complex and sophisticated water management, and also in the world of very sophisticated and complex water science. Things like the biology of ecosystems, the um, hydrology, which is the study of how water moves from snowpacks in mountains down through streams to our, to our taps and our farms, and then trying to figure out how all the, these things fit together in these complex ways, and then figuring out how to translate it in simple ways for the people who um, need to understand it in order to help make good decisions for society. They don't necessarily have a scientific background. They don't have the scientific background. They don't have the legal background. They don't have the policy background. Yeah. But they're the people who matter. How do we communicate across those boundaries? Yeah. And one of the really important things is not just understanding all the fancy complicated stuff, but also doing a bunch of listening on the community side. Oh, How do you yeah. think about water? How, what does water mean to you culturally? Yeah. What does it mean to your community to have this irrigation ditch that allows you to water the field for the pasture for your horse or the trees in your yard? Mm -hmm. What are the values and benefits and how do those complex values and benefits fit together? Wow. Um, so it's like a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Translation or boundary work is kind of the best word to describe what I do. Day-to-day -day operations, um, I have a lot of freedom and flexibility from my um, supervisors, which is really nice. Um, so I can kind of tailor my schedule around school, um, my other job, yeah. um, hanging out with my dog, all that. Yeah. Um, and so on the days when you know I do get like a solid chunk of time, um, a lot of what I do is uh, pretty strictly on GIS. So it's a lot of time on the computer. Um, and it's nice because I've had jobs in the past where I've worked in the bosque. Um, I've worked outdoors in this area for a long time and so I have that knowledge to kind of like fall back on and I think yeah. that helps me um, interpret some of the satellite stuff because mm -hmm. I mean it's satellite imagery there's only so much it'll tell you about what's happening on oh, the ground yeah, right um, and so I like to have that that experience to pull back on but um, yeah most of the time it's just pulling different data sets um, offline or trying to email people to get like data sets um, and then plugging them into GIS and uh, running different models, making different um, like layers and stuff like that based off of data that I find. And uh, that way I'm able to kind of like make conclusions about what's happening on the ground. Some of my responsibilities as a grad student are to obviously my studies. Yeah. Know, continue on the program that I need to do. Mm -hmm. But it's also this, this broader aspect of um, meeting new people, doing new things, constantly evolving to whatever situations may come up. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I've TA'd and that was fun. Generally as grad students you'll do like research assistants yeah. or teacher's assistants, things like that. They're, they're fun. I've enjoyed both. Doing oh, you, both of them. you did both? Yes, I've done oh, both. Cool. 
uh, both for Becky. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and um, just kind of helping to, to steward undergraduates too is, mm -hmm. is a big part of what we do and kind of sharing our love of our experiences and our teachers yeah. and the classes. I think one of the biggest responsibilities that's uh, quite a change from undergraduate is the amount of reading. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big responsibility because I feel like in undergrad there was a lot of opportunities to have like small group study sessions um, but that doesn't exactly present itself in uh, graduate curriculum oh, really? because uh, it's just like a lot of reading it's just like um, a lot of theory um, especially on because I'm doing the dual program with uh, water resources and planning okay. especially on the planning side it's like a lot of reading um, but of course the other responsibility that we have as grad student is doing some sort of professional project or thesis mm -hmm. um, and so that's my other big responsibility right now too um, and I kind of consider them, I would consider them like kind of two, two jobs for, for grad school. Wow, that's you have, a lot of responsibility. Yeah, you definitely have class and then you have like your, your research project too. After talking with Becky, I learned that there's a big part of being an ecologist and it is working with other people from different fields. I asked everyone what they thought of interdisciplinary work or what they think of collaborating with other services and people. Let's listen. So it's... I would say it's one of my favorite parts of my job is working with teams of people who have really different interests. So by interdisciplinary, you know, you can take that as um, across different disciplines. I work with geologists and hydrologists, other ecologists, um, but I also work with people who are educators. It's really important for me to have my research sort of um, conveyed out to, to other people who aren't necessarily um, scientists. And so I would do a lot of work with educators um, at the Albuquerque Biopark, at the um, New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science, developing exhibits. Um, a lot of our research is funded through federal agencies like the Bureau of Reclamation and the Interstate Stream Commission. But I also work with U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, U.S. Geological Survey. So, um, you know, we're not really working in a vacuum. We do a lot of collaborating with sometimes people who are really thinking, um, doing the same kinds of work, but also sometimes with people who do different kinds of work and feel like we get better outcomes for our research when we have lots of people with different interests all working towards the same kinds of research questions. My work is also very collaborative. And like Becky said, I, one, it's one of my favorite aspects of, of what we get to do. Um, one thing that's quite different uh, in Nebraska is that because most of the land, uh, especially the land that's near rivers, is privately owned. And so a big part of our work involves interactions with private landowners and uh, getting to know people who directly take care of and manage that land. And that can be families who own and run ranches, or it can be conservation organizations that are managing grasslands or river habitats for certain species um, and other partners. And so I really like that part of my job of interacting with people who are really um, 
coming at this from, from different perspectives, but working with similar goals who want to take care of the resource and ensure that it is protected to provide um, what it needs to for the ecosystem, but also for all the humans that rely on it. And so all of those interconnections mean a lot. And those relationships are what make it possible for us to do our science and to have applications of that science to management and monitoring. Yeah, so, so I have a really weird background. Um, my undergraduate degree was in philosophy. Wow, philosophy. Yeah, and um, it was really, and this was such a long time ago, um, I was young. Um, but it was learning how to think well, yeah, learning critically. how to think critically and yeah. carefully yeah. to understand the underpinnings of our thought processes. And then right away I went to, worked as a journalist, and journalism is this crazy wonderful world where, you know, the editor hands you a, a pen and a notebook um, and sends you out in the world to learn something and come back and explain <laughs> it to your readers the next day. Yeah. Like you've got an afternoon, learn everything you can about this thing well enough to explain it to people tomorrow. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's a, you know, in some sense it's a ridiculous exercise. What can you learn in an afternoon, right? And yet you learn how to quickly attack an intellectual question, mm -hmm. figure out what you need to know in a hurry. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that over and over again, day after day after day, and that's the heart of the method of how I work. I talk to people. Yeah. I read their reports and their data. I synthesize it and understand it, and then figure out how to package it up and share it with others. And I never really understand anything until I sit down to write about it. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't really wow. understand it, because when you're writing something, you see the holes in your thinking because you have to lay it down in an orderly way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sentence following sentence, paragraph following paragraph, a structure that makes the idea, um, that allows you to explain an idea from beginning to end in a way that other people can make sense of it. Oh. And so I write, you know, and I just write. I write every day. I write a blog, I write on social media, on Twitter. I speak publicly, which is a lot like writing and you've got an audience in front of you, you have a half an hour to explain something yeah. to them. I teach, right? All of those things are the same basic task. You know, I write, I'm, you know, starting in the new job that I'm in at the Etten Center, write more technical report kind of things, but it's all about trying to figure out how to understand something complicated and explain it in a useful way. In terms of like disciplines that I collaborate with, uh, the thing I like about ecosystem services is that it's very interdisciplinary. Um, and so we take, obviously, biology, ecology into account. Um, we interact a lot with economists. Um, one of my bosses is an economist. Um, we look at sociological factors, um, demographics, stuff like that. Um, look at the hydrology. Um, and in terms of actual parties that you know, are involved in one way or the other. Um, all of the federal agencies that have their hand in the river here, so that's Bureau of Reclamation, um, Army Corps of Engineers, Fish and Wildlife Service, um, there's probably more that I'm missing. Uh, I do get data from them. Um, and then local agencies like uh, NM State Forestry, the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District, um, AMAFCA, the our water authority here in town, um, those are like the parties that I'm pulling my data from and those are the parties that I'm hoping to uh, take my findings to when I actually have results.
collaborated with a bunch of people. I've collaborated with both state and federal agencies, uh-huh. um, USGS, uh, the National Park Service, mm-hmm. um, Bureau of Reclamation, um, obviously smaller entities like UNM. Um, it is a process and it is a learning curve. Oh. Um, it's not, generally it's not always a fast acting, mm-hmm. of course, you know, you have to follow the proper channels. and. Yeah find the right people is sometimes oh. the hardest part but um but it's one of the most important parts of what we do because without these specific collaborations with different agencies and different people mm-hmm. it doesn't you don't get the full picture of what's going on oh, and sometimes okay. you're not able to access lands and oh i see yeah. so some of it's for like getting access to certain places mm-hmm. and stuff and I'm guessing you need data and stuff like that, so you ask them for data? Is that what you do? Sometimes. So, yeah, so if they have available data on what we're looking at, we yeah. will ask them to share the data. Mm-hmm. Um, with my project specifically, there's not much data oh. out there. Uh, okay. This is the first time that these um, uh, these outfalls in Valencia County have, be- have really been looked at outside of a fish aspect. Oh. Yeah, so, so. it's kind of... Also, you're building these these data sets to provide to these agencies, so it's always okay. good to stay in contact with them and know how they, kind of how they run and how they want their data. Oh, okay. Yeah, to make it easier to understand. Yeah, so I think what, right now one of my biggest collaborators is Papua Yipaski Ecosystem Monitoring Program. Mm-hmm. Um, not only am I going to be using their data, but they are also letting me, graciously letting me use um, their augers to dig my wells and a couple other supplies to set up my experiment so oh, okay. and then of course Becky Becky Bixby too um, Mary all of them I would consider them collaborators too because um, they're actually kind of and John Fleck too they're kind of the people who um, for my graduate project specifically mm-hmm. kind of introduced me to um, the habitat that I'm working in the last background question I had for them was how they currently communicated their findings to people that did not have a scientific background. A lot of the answers are similar, so I won't include all of them. Here's what Mary, John, and Molly had to say. One of the things that I try to convey when I speak with people um, and talk about our work and, and science in general is I try to convey a sense of hope. And this is something that I've learned a lot from observing and interacting with people like John Fleck at UNM, um, that people can often come together and solve complex problems in creative ways. And so that we're not always faced with conflict. And so like here on, on the Platte River, we do not have high river flows in the springtime like we did historically. A lot of that water is stored in reservoirs upstream. It's been retimed. The river is really, really different than it was historically. But people have come together and conservation partners to manage the river and in particular some of the in-channel habitat to make this an area that can still sustain spring migration for sandal cranes and hooping cranes and the diversity of the other species. And so while the system has radically changed, people have found solutions to take care of pieces of that system. And there are a number of examples in terms of water conservation of major cities and things where where people are rising to the challenge. And so I like to always try to convey 
yes, there are things that have been changed, and this is what science is telling us about the implications of those change changes, but there's hope, and there are places for people to be part of uh, a future that can be positive for the environment and the life that these the life that these aquatic systems sustain. And I think that that message of hope is really important. Yeah, so I, um, I am old school, and it's weird that this is old school because, you know, internet time is so compressed. I have a blog. Yeah. I have a blog that I've written for, since blogs started, 20 years. I don't even know, 25 yeah, years. 20 years, 20, right. 20, 25 years. Written a blog. Mm -hmm. um, the, the blog has an extremely, has a, a large audience. Um, people, the most common way people get to my blog now is people subscribe to an email feed, so they get an email. So I write something and it goes out to all these people, hundreds of people who have chosen to read it, mm -hmm. to read the blog. And that's how I communicate, that's my primary means of communication. Yeah. And I've worked um, around the Western United States, um, especially on the Colorado River Basin, which is this sort of broad river basin that, that en encompasses seven Western US states. Um, and so the blog is really well read among people in the water management community and, and some in the general public, and they all read the blog. That's how I communicate. So it's my, it's my main platform. Mm -hmm. I also teach graduate students yeah. in the water resources program, so that's a really important way to communicate because if I can help them understand some things and then think creatively and better, then they go out into the world and solve problems. That's um, probably the most important thing. And then I do social media, and social media, I happen to be a Twitter user. Social media is a really powerful platform to communicate with that subset of people in, the, in this world who choose to be on, on Twitter, active on, on mm -hmm. Twitter. And so yeah. that social media outreach and platform has been critical kind of to the work I do. And then the final way, and this is something as I transitioned away from being a reporter myself to being an academic, has become incredibly important is I speak to the public through other journalists. Reporters t talk to me, they interview me. And, wow. and it gives me a chance to share um, my thoughts about these issues with this other broad audience. So it's a super idea amplifier platform. Wow. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time, um, you know, I spent hours with reporters just yesterday. Really? I spent probably two hours with reporters yesterday. You know, I'm going to be on, on talk radio next week here in Albuquerque. I do that a lot. I think I was on public radio this morning. I'm not sure. They did the interview yesterday, and so I think they broadcast it today. So I do that a lot, and that's a really important way of communicating people. Yeah, too. And, yeah. and reporters like to talk to me because I used to be a reporter, so I know how to talk in the sound bites they need and communicate in the way that um, they need things communicated. They know how to distill ideas quickly into the two-sentence wow, so chunk they need. You're seeing kind of like both sides. Yeah, yeah, and because I was on their side, I know exactly what they need. Yeah. And they come to me for that reason. You know, it's, it's so not easy to work with. Yeah. yeah, and it's not that I'm the smartest person in the Colorado River Basin, you know, which is where most of my work is. There's a bunch of people way smarter than me. I am the translator between them. I hang around with all the smart people. They explain things to me, and then I translate for the reporters. It all depends on who the audience is. Uh, okay. One of the most important things of being a scientist is actually being able to con convey yeah. your information to a broad array of, of individuals. Um, 
So like if uh, presenting at a poster session or a conference or something like that, you can lean a little bit more towards the science side of it mm-hmm. and um, more of the wholehearted specifics of yeah. your findings or of your conclusions. And then, but when you're presenting to the public, um, you have to be able to convey what you're doing in a sense that someone who was never exposed to biology before or didn't know what a mayfly was in a a way that they could really understand it or at least Uh get the broad aspect of the big picture of why it's important to them. It's time to recap then in episode one. So far we got to know the people who will be giving their thoughts on different topics in the next two episodes. We got to know how they got into the field of choice, their thoughts on interdisciplinary work, what they do on the job, and how they convey their findings to others. Next episode, we'll talk about some challenges they see out in the field and in their jobs. The episode after next will go over how they overcome these challenges, and you'll hear some interesting storytelling at the end. So stay tuned.